Welcome into another edition of the Hops and Spirits Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Green, and it's another flavorful February edition, and we'll be talking with a few folks from Starlight Distillery in Indiana here shortly, Christian Huber, James Wood, and maybe Christian's brother, Blake, might might uh, stop by for a little bit as well. Um, before we get into that, though, don't forget to join our Drinking Buddies uh, monthly giveaway club where we're giving away a sample from starlight they might not know that but but they're they're part of our giveaway it's pretty simple to go into any of our social media at hops and spirits on instagram twitter or facebook and just click the link and sign up it's free it takes a few seconds and you could win some amazing whiskeys from several different distilleries and a whole bunch of different ages and types so uh, don't wait go go do that right now but I don't want to waste any more time because Flavorful February was a lot of fun last week with Derek DeFranco of Mere Twin Brewing in Lexington talking about how they do those crazy pastry stouts, uh, sour ales, um, you know, things with cereal in them. But now we're going to the whiskey side because whiskey can be very flavorful and it's a unique way to do it. So let's welcome in Christian Huber and James Wood from Starlight Distillery in Indiana. Guys, welcome back. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Good to see you. Now, uh, before we, we get rolling here, I always like to ask one very tough question. Sometimes to some it's tough. Others it's just you know a very simple answer. But with our wonderful weather we have right now, do you all prefer the cold or the warm? Yeah, I, <laughs> um, I'm certainly, I'm going to you know go in the middle there and just say I'm more of a moderate guy. If you give me like <laughs> a nice 65 to 75, uh, that's where I'm happiest for sure. I was gonna say I lived in Ontario for uh, a few years, so I'll take the warm. I put my put my time in on the cold. So yeah. <laughs> nothing wrong with that. It, you you have very long winters in in Canada. From from a few of my buddies uh, from back in college, I totally understand that. I'm I'm kind of like you, James. I'm I'm a spring and fall guy. Uh, you know, give me that nice 65, 70 degree weather with maybe a little cooler in the evenings, a little bonfire or or fire pit going, and uh, you can't really really beat that in my mind. Now, take a glass of whiskey outside, have a cigar, and, uh, you know, that's a night. Exactly, exactly. Now, on to the actual maybe tougher questions. Uh, this I'll start off with uh, with James on this one, um, just to make sure I'm doling things out a little evenly. Uh, for those that may not have joined us for our first episode with y'all, what can you tell us a little bit about Starlight? Because you also, you're a distillery, but you have Huber Winery, the U-Pick Orchard as well. So what... Can you, what's the background there at Starlight in Indiana? Yeah, so um, basically uh, current operations are we have uh, a, a lot to do, to be honest. You know, we're, we're a full regional destination uh, tour and, and visit site. You know, we get folks from all over uh, the region and uh, folks that fly in, you know, maybe into Louisville or Indy that will come down and visit us as well. Um, but, you know, like you mentioned, we have the distillery uh, and the winery. Those also include tours and tastings. Uh, our tasting loft is completely open and uh, still uh, COVID friendly, if you will. So, you know, we're still following uh, health and safety regulations and guidelines from local, state and federal health officials uh, here on property to make sure that everybody feels, uh, you know, safe during the pandemic. Um, but on the farm side of things, you know, we're we're a 700 acre farm essentially. And, you know, we got a, uh, the farm market, of course, that we sell a lot of our goods in. Uh, you also have the you pick uh, things that you can do here when uh, fruits, vegetables, gourds, you, you know, whatever's in seasons essentially. And that starts with uh, strawberries in May. 
um, that you can go out, pick as much as you want. Uh, you basically pay by the pound after you're done, and uh, then you can join us for some wine, whiskey, or you know, take your kids down to the to the uh, farm. Uh, it's farm area to play in, you know, we got, there's just all sorts of stuff to do. And, you know, it's, it's just a great getaway for the day for anybody in the, in the area. So if, if you've been, come on back. If you haven't been, we'd love to have you. Um, Cause there's definitely something for everybody here. I was going to say, it, it truly is a, a family-type establishment, whether uh, you want to have a night out for the adults or, or, or bring the kids a, as well. Uh, Christian, you're a generational distiller uh, there. Uh, your, your family has kind of run run that for many generations, and you can track back all the way to before you guys came over here that you've been in uh, some type of uh, distilling uh, history. What age did you get into distilling? Because I, I remember last time it was rather young, and it might shock some people. Well, yeah, uh, again, <laughs> it's, a, uh, it's a family business here. I mean, especially being in a family that historically has always been in beverage alcohol, um, stemming back, you know, seven generations until we get into Germany, and then another six and seven generations over there that we can track back as the winery. Um, where I fit into the piece of the puzzle was I was a kind of on the wine side first, helped my dad around the distillery and the winery when I was little, um, eight, nine, 10. Um, but it was on my 13th birthday that he actually gave me the keys to actually run. It was Applejack Brandy by myself on the Christian Carl. We have a little 80 gallon Carl still up in the uh, winery, the original still on this property. Um, and like I said, when I turned 13, he gave me the keys and said, you know what, you know what to do. Um, if you need any help, I'm here. But go right ahead and he went back up to retail and he left me with this 80 gallon still and a bit <laughs> of apple juice and off i went um but i was born and raised i mean once you grow around something it's more of a instinct nature kind of thing i knew what the taste for i knew how to cut and again i knew how to respect the alcohol at the end of the day and how to proof and how to get into the right barrels i mean just came down to you know growing up around it and seeing it day after day and, and I was going to say, you know, one of the things we're talking about here on Flavorful February is uh, kind of how whiskeys get their, their, their flavors, bourbon um, as well. Um, for those that just, you know, just to give that general look at how the process works, not super detailed, but just a nice little overview. How does the distilling process go when you're making uh, whiskey? Well, whiskey, like I said, we have two distilleries here on the property, one for brandy and one for whiskey, because they are very, very different from each other. Uh, whiskey takes an extra step, just like brewing, where you actually have to cook the grains. Um, the cooking process, like I said, it, it, they're too complex of chains to actually ferment by themselves. Um, for instance, when you go out into a cornfield, you crush up corn, it's not going to ferment, right? Uh, the opposite happens when you're in a vineyard or you're doing fruit. If you do crush up those grapes or those raspberries, blueberries, and leave them on the ground, they will ferment. Um, so, you know, distillation, when it comes to whiskey, you have that extra step. Uh, you have your, uh, your two alpha amylase and your amylase that will splice those certain starch chains down to where you actually can have a fermentable, um, quote-unquote, sugary liquid at that point. Um, and once you splice those down, then it's about basically selecting your yeast. Um, in distillation, we don't talk enough about that, in my personal opinion. Everyone trying to hide you know, shroud of what yeast is, but as a winemaker, I can tell you we use quite a bit of different yeast from Firm Solution, which is the Wilderness Trail guys. Um, we've been using them before they even had that distillery. Uh, from there, you go into your primary fermentation. Uh, again, we're 100% sweet mash, so we inoculate our yeast uh, fresh every single day. 
every single time. Um, that way we have, we know exactly what kind of yeast, um, like I said, we have a Saccharomyces cerevisiae that does the primary fermentation. At that point, like I said, it turns that sugary liquid into alcohol. Um, and then we go full grains of that sugary liquid, fermented sugary liquid into the actual still. Uh, the still will charge it. We are um, double pot distillation, so we have a 500 gallon Vendome brass and copper, custom built out with dad and uh, the guys over at Vendome. Um, big onion, big uh, gooseneck into a long 2% downgrade lyre arm um, that helps us really clean up high rye whiskeys. Uh, we have a low wine column with five plates and a heavy defilmator on top, and then a condensing column. The first run, like I said, we're just looking to strip the alcohol off, you know, concentrate it a little bit. Uh, the second run is where we're really finessing it, I'm really making those exact cuts. At Starlight, a little different. We don't let any computer system or anything, it's all done by the person and by the distiller. There's no uh, uh, quote-unquote uh, operating procedure that we have to cut at a certain proof. It's all done by taste. Um, Jesse, um, our head distiller, and Matt, and he does all our cooking. Uh, myself, my brother, Ryan, and Jason, each and every day, it's up to us to figure out when we would like to cut it, how much oil should come across, because every day is a new day, right? When it's cold outside, when it's hot outside, the grains year after year are a little bit different. There's different oils or different starches. And all that plays into the final game of the whiskey. Uh, again, we're not an ethanol plant by any means. We're doing craft distillation on a very, very small scale. But that's kind of without getting into the polyphenols and how different things bind. And I can get into the geeky geekiness of it. That's like a very broad, you know, 1,800 feet above it kind of level. And 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 that's what I always love about when when I'm talking to who, whoever it is, whether it's Shane and the guys at Wilderness Trail, you all, uh, you you name it. Just how much science goes into this, and um, how how much of a process it is to really get to that amazing bottle at the end. And for for those that are curious, um, there's a couple different what you know. When I think of whiskeys, you think of your your straightforward whiskeys, maybe a, a barrel finish. Um, one that I don't know gets talked a ton about, you all make a blackberry whiskey. How does that process differ to get that blackberry uh, flavoring in there? Well, like I said, um, I'd be a liar to say if all of our products are made our single barrel and our bourbon grade, right? Um, mm -hmm. that's, like I said, um, knock on wood, very early on, we decided that we weren't going to go into with any investments or anything like that. And so we never had the pressure to put out bourbon. Uh, we always could, you know, put the best we ever had, better, best foot forward every single time. Um, so Blackberry Whiskey was a product that was kind of created by accident, kind of created on a, uh, a uh, unique accident that kind of led into this beautiful product. But, um, I mean, we're a, we're a fruit farm, right? Uh, we grow a lot of brambles, so blackberries, black raspberries, raspberries, blueberries. Um, so the blackberries that we have naturally on the property, like I said, you crush them down into a juice. Uh, and you concentrate that juice. Um, and then we take some of the bourbon that hasn't quite made our grade. If it's too, uh, like I said, too husky, too grain forward, if it's just something wrong with the mouthfeel, aromatically, it's just not where we would like it. We basically deem that as a great, what was called blackberry whiskey. Um, so we blend that sometimes four and five year old bourbon lots that just did not work um, into that blackberry, that concentrated blackberry. Um, and then, like I said, we proof it down um, and then again blackberry has some instability so we have to protein stable it um, but for us that was a way for us to you know take what was also grown on the farm and create products that uh, 
like I said, might not be great by itself as a bourbon. Um, again, as any distillery does, you try all stuff and you don't know how it's going to turn out. Um, at the end of the day, we didn't have to put that product out on the market um, as a bourbon or as a whiskey just because we had that backbone of that product you basically take it in and get our money's worth out of it. Um, and like I said, um, year after year, the colors change on it because of blackberries concentration. <laughs> um, so it does show its vintage variation very, very well. Uh, again, it's going to be our bourbon and also our re-ran tails. Um, so as you know, historically, we're a very, very high cut and a lot of distillers are... Uh, you know, they ask us why we cut so high while we do this. Um, a lot of times we take those concentrated tails and we rerun it up the column to make light whiskey. And we age that as well um, to go into the blackberry whiskey. So what it's going to be, it's a kind of a double-edged sword there. <laughs> but hey, nothing wrong with uh, sometimes happy accidents. Uh, some some amazing products come out of out of those. And, and uh, you know, the, that's been kind of a newer thing, uh, or at least maybe not newer, but one that I see more and more on the shelves are those flavored type whiskeys and uh, y'all have been doing it for a while oh yeah i mean it's nice to be able to have everything in our backyard basically picked from we actually have a uh, a good crop of black raspberries so being the first one you're the first one to kind of hear it and i mean leaking it out we'll have a black raspberry bourbon liqueur um, that should be ready this summer again um, this one is going to be at a liqueur um, stage so a little bit under 80 proof um, but being able again take an actual bourbon that again didn't quite meet our single barrel grade or our bottle and bond grade um, and taking that with our fresh black raspberries um, and making that liqueur out of it. It's uh, it's something really, really stellar. And if you like the uh, kind of the black raspberry, that light purplish, beautiful color pulling through, and it has that nice high rye whiskey in the background of it. Uh, so we're really excited for that product as well. Well, that sounds like something we all need to, to mark on our calendars and look forward to this summer uh, for <laughs> sure. Now, now on the other side of, uh, you know, the, the production, obviously what you put in the whiskey makes a big difference, um, whether you're using different types of grains or, or where you get those from. Um, one thing that uh, I think a lot of people know somewhat about is, is the barrel, though, can play a big role. And, and how does that work? And, and um, kind of, uh, to me, what people might not know is there's many different types of barrels that you can uh, put bourbon and whiskey into. Well, and as you know, I think I said this last time, I mean, I did my senior thesis in Oak, right? My brother did as well. Um, like I said, when I was living in Ontario and Blake was living in Cornell, we used to uh, travel back and forth from Cornell University's lab and actually run the GC. Um, their um, grass um, chromatography, just basically to see the overall aromatics that come derivative of Oak precursors, um, again, without getting too technical. Oak plays a massive role in overall whiskey components of flavor production. Um, so why people just threw it into one particular type of oak, I will then I will not know. Um, mostly because, uh, again, if you're going for a certain flavor profile, like for instance, Woodford Reserve is always going to be Woodford, right? They don't want to alleviate mm -hmm. that. But when it comes to single barrels, you kind of want that differentiation. Um, so. Again, with Starlight, we actually have seven different cooperages um, throughout the United States. Um, again, some local boys like Kelvin Cooperage, I mean, right out of Louisville, Kentucky, um, going all the way up to uh, Sagu Monroe, which is actually a French cooper out of uh, Burgundy uh, that produces uh, American oak here in the States, uh, very, very high-end water bent, uh, air-dried wood. And all that plays in a precursor of what it is, where the wood is grown at, um, the way it's seasoned, the yard, the way it's toasted and charred, 
um, really plays a huge impact um, to your overall flavor. Um, for instance, like I said, we have different portfolios here. Uh, like I said, our three grain mash bill that I like to produce, um, I use Kelvin char threes with toasted heads. Uh, my dad, for his four grain, prefers more of the ISC, Cooper's Reserve, Cooper Select, char two, char three. My brother is a Canton fan, uh, one to two and three to four chars with toasted heads and charred heads, 24 month air dried. Um, again, we have another one in, in new in the portfolio. Uh, thankfully, Heaven Hill um, kind of backed out some contracts and now we have Zach Cooperage, which used to be uh, Heaven Hill's exclusive uh, or one of their exclusive producers for a lot of their uh, a lot of their products, uh, using a lot of their, uh, what we have all the way up to excuse me, 48-month air-dried wood from them and char three. Um, but again, the different charring levels vary from cooper to cooper. So like I said, Kelvin's char three, Zach's char three, and Canton's char three are very different things, uh, which makes it complicated for you as in consumer saying, oh, this was Asian uh, Kelvin char three, and then you go to a Canton char three and be like, well, this is different. And that's the uniqueness about each house. It, it expresses things differently. Um, and again, without getting too too like over the top. I mean, when you toast that barrel or char the barrel, I mean, you're pulling, um, again, a lot of precursors for your whiskey lactone. Um, like lignin is one of the main, I get out, I get into like all the different precursors of it, but lignin going into your, uh, your butterscotch, your caramel, your salted caramels, and like how the toasting process differs from the charring process and how char has more of the outside of that carbon to be able to filter out heavier oils. It all comes into play. Um, but unfortunately, as distilleries, we really don't talk about the differences inside each house. Again, there's like uh, Four Gate does a good job saying they use Kelvin Peerless as well. Um, but what does that actually mean is still something that a lot of the consumers are still unknown about um, and why each different cooperage and each different house produces such unique aromatics depending on what it is. Well, and, and like you touched on there, it makes a difference in what, you know, we get in the final product because, you know, the, as everyone knows, bourbon whiskey uh, ages in those for, spends a quite quite a bit of time uh, in one of those barrels. And you kind of touched on it a little bit, uh, the charring process. Most people now probably that are bourbon lovers have heard of the char process, but there are different, as you mentioned, one, two, three, four, it, does, it goes up to five, correct? Am I, am I right on that or four on the charring process for some of the grades and so forth? We go up to four. Now, four. The, um, Kelvin has charred our barrels to no end. We actually had uh, some burnt barrels that would be up there in closer to the five range, but uh, for us, we stick through the classic one to four. Uh, but but how does that that play a role into it? And, and what does the what does charring mean for someone that may not understand exactly what that is? Well, like I said, charring nowadays in the age of how the bourbon boom is, I mean, there's a lot more what we call control around the charring process. Um, basically, what you have after you have your let's say oak that's cut down and then cut into staves. There's two methods that could go on. Um, because there's still a lot of liquid inside that tree at that point. You have to dry that wood, right? And the two options are kiln drying wood, uh, where you send it through a kiln that gets the um, actual, like I said, liquid out. Or you do air dry, which you set up in a stave in a yard for years and years and years. And the snow, the rain, the heat, the sun, the expansion and cool kind of seasons it, just like you would season a grill or a smoker. Um, again, no wrong or right. There's a big price difference between the two. We follow under the air dried wood because we're craft and again, having the wine background. Uh, again, I like a very seasoned wood. There's different precursors and different aromatics that you can pull versus the 
quote unquote kiln dry in a way. Uh, but let's say whatever one you pick, um, they build the barrel, but it's still at that point uncharred. I mean, it's just raw wood. Um, so they have to put that over to a fire. And so the charring levels, one, two, three, and four, is just the intensity of the heat and the length of time that that barrel is over top of that flame. Um, so like I said, one is going to be very, very minimum. It's going to be like a quick toasting almost rather than a charring. Again, that's enough, again, to basically break that outer layer down a little bit, um, char it just enough that the whiskey is going to get a little bit of carbon inside of there, a little bit of lignans can form. Uh, and as it goes up in intensity, two, three, and four, you're going deeper and deeper into that wood, more of that like carbon on the outside that can filter out those heavier fattier acid or oils, excuse me. Um, and then, like I said, you're building more of those precursors of lignin and stuff like that. Um, but on the flip side, um, why we do toasting is actually, toasting is the opposite. So charring is how hot, how quick, toasting is how low and slow that heat can go. Again, imagine, like I said, you put your hand over top of a, like I said, a fire. I mean, it's going to be hot really, really, really quickly. But imagine, like you say, you bring that heat up really, really slow. You can get used to it. And the wood is actually, quote unquote, uh, a deeper in, or it's toasted deeper into the wood, um, making more of those, like I said, those LinkedIn's and different, uh, like I said, binding points for the whiskey to get those sweeter lactones out. Um, but as you're going in, um, deeper into that wood, as the whiskey ages due to the osmotic pressure through the heating and cooling cycle of, I mean, the Ohio River Valley, you're pushing further in. But let's say you don't char the barrel all the way, you could get some of those greener, bitter notes out of the wood, but longer toasting allows you to be more comfortable as it goes in and out over years and years and years that you're going to have a cohesive product um, in with it. And that's why most people do threes and fours, right? Um, you're, you're charring it, you have a lot of those, uh, like I said, carbon to filter out, a lot of those lignans that bind over years and years and years, um, you're going to be safe with that. But again, there's times uh, over and over that you'll have some green wood inside of your barrels, uh, some cooperages more than not, and then on the flip side, you'll get some barrels that are completely charred. Um, one that had accidents was uh, Kelvin was supposed to make us some Kelvin uh, char three toasted heads. Um, but again, those barrels were extra charred, um, again, caught on fire and we call them the burnt barrel series and the whiskey turned out to be like, uh, you know, Grippo's potato chips. Yes. It was, a, it was like a barbecue Grippo's potato chip kind of aromatic. It was really interesting to see how sweet, savory and smoky they were. So good. Um, and again, you either hate it or you love it. <laughs> Sometimes you can find that with some knob creek barrels as well. Um, but again, I mean, every, Every barrel has a story to tell, and every cooperage has their own way of harvesting the wood, how old they are. Uh, we like to talk about, you know, those dusties back in the day and how they were different than today. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the wood as well. I mean, you have to think about it. We are harvesting a lot older trees. And again, when you're forcing the liquid in there, the tighter the grain, the less it's going to integrate and how quickly it is. It's denser, correct? Uh, again, just like old houses are still around, these newer houses fall down, they burn quicker because of the wood's not as old. Um, again, and how we build these barrels, back in the day, they built the barrels like tanks, and still today they are, but um, older wood, more mature wood has that effect. And we use two coopers that, you know, specifically harvest older wood, Canton and Sagoon Monroe. Um, they're tighter grain and they hold pressure easier. 
Um, so when they're forcing, when you're heating that whiskey up when it's cold and you're building that pressure inside that barrel, those tighter grains, you know, they fight back, right? Um, instead of just, you know, looser grain that, you know, you can kind of see all the way through. It's, you still build pressure, but not as much. Um, so again, I, it's personal opinion, what you like or what you don't like. But again, with me, I mean, one of the distinctive differences that we're harvesting younger wood nowadays um, we're making that big difference into it, but I can go, you know, pieces on on for hours about how wood can change the overall aromatics of it. Um, yeah, that's kind of a brief description. I, I like that. And that might be, uh, for, for our next chat as we go a deep dive in, into, into the, into the wood, wood of everything. Uh, another process that gets, gets, um, done a lot you guys do it you know woodford's been known to do it is the double oak uh mm-hmm. version of a, of a whiskey and as simple as it sounds it is really that simple it's you know, it goes from one barrel to another but um how how, how does it exactly work and uh, how long do you guys do it for and 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 how does that play a, a role in it too well we do it very differently than a lot of people um, and I will straight out say you that a big a big guy can't do it the way we do it just because um, it's too much control over it. Um, again, we do our double oaked in a few different portfolios. We have French oak double oaked, um, the traditional American double oaked, and actually we're getting into Hungarian double oaked. Again, again, different woods, different densities, different toasting and charring all play over into the aromatic factor of what the whiskey is. Um, again, typically I like to use air dried wood uh, with double oak. My brother and dad and Jesse and Jason will concur. Uh, we start with air dried wood, a little tighter of a grain, and then we do a long, deep toast, um, kind of a medium, medium plus toast. Um, with our American double oak, we then flash char it up to two. Our French oak is just medium toast. Hungarian, just medium toast. Um, and the overall aromatics and the way the finesse of the mouthfeel is very different. Again, American double oak comes of age quicker than our French oak and Hungarian oak. Uh, but you have to watch it because each individual cast will come of age quicker. I mean, you can't just say these, you know, 20 barrels will all be ready in 18 months. It just, I mean, not to bash anybody, but it does not work. <laughs> it just, you can't. Just like you know, you put all the kids in the same room and they're all going to learn the same way. It's just, it's, it's, it's not true. I mean, everyone is at its own pace, and every single barrel is different. Um, so you have to really watch and you know taste these barrels as they're developing and as they're pulling that extra tannin out. Because double oak, in my opinion, I used to hate it as a category. It used to be, in my opinion, so overly extracted that honestly, you were drinking oak and mm-hmm. it. Became it became almost this like, uh, you know, this negative thing when I saw it on labels. Again, it, it was that finessing portion that a lot of people miss. Um, so when you're looking at double oaking, again, that base distillate is super important because you want it to marry into the double oak the best way possible. You want something that's not overly tannic and you want something that's not overly structured with wood. Um, so you're looking at younger whiskeys that are more bright, more floral, more fruity to balance with a double oaked. Again, American oak, French oak, and Hungarian, we have different blends that go into each. And then we basically just watch and we taste um, and find it where it's at its balancing, when it's at its peak. Um, again, how we do our single grill picks a double oak, you put your name on it, um, but we tell you it could be a couple of weeks, a couple of months away before we actually pull it. 
Um, the reason being is that, you know, your buddy who might have picked after you might get his first because his barrel came of age quicker. And we're going to put out the best overall quality of a double oak that we can, period. Um, again, we're unapologetic saying, like, sorry, you have to wait, but your barrel honestly is developing different than your friends or your, you know, your liquor store down the road. Um, but we're tasting them constantly. And then when we find them, they're at their absolute peak. Uh, we dump them into stainless steel to stop the overall aging process, allow some oxygen to race back into the overall distillate, and that's a whole other key that oxygen plays a huge role in your aromatics of whiskey, um, which I'm really passionate about. Allowing oxygen to marry in with that whiskey for a few days and then bottling it. Um, again, everyone comes of age quicker, and we're seeing French oak come differently than a, a Hungarian and an American that very rapidly picks up its double oak. Um, Again, it's just, it's a finessing thing where you have to taste and own your own palate and how you like it balanced. And our, our double oak, we've figured out there's different portfolios that we've picked and uh, knock on wood, uh, people keep coming back and getting it. So hopefully we're doing a good job with it. I, I would have to say you're doing doing a very good job uh, with it. And um, you, you kind of touched on it, you know, the, the single barrel process, um, things like that, or your store picks. And James, want to bring you back in here. Um, how does that work? Um, you know, the single bar barrel picks and, and, um, uh, you know, I'm guessing not more and more are doing it nowadays and, uh, each kind of gets something a little different. Yeah. So, um, you know, our, our single barrel program before I started, uh, so again, uh, I started in October of 2019. Uh, my role went for being brought on as brand manager and, you know, I'm supposed to be traveling. Uh, throughout Indiana and Kentucky and visiting accounts and talking to clients and working with our distribution reps. Uh, but with the pandemic, that kept me on property. And so we quickly had to uh, find some work for me to do essentially. And uh, what, what happened was at the beginning of 2020, we had three uh, kind of high profile uh, retail bourbon group picks happen for us. Uh, and that just kind of skyrocketed our private barrel selection program, uh, which I then kind of took over uh, and I became the coordinator for. Sorry, Blake just entered the room. Um, no, no worries. Um, so, yeah, I, I became the coordinator essentially working with Christian uh, and with uh, his mom and dad, Dana and Ted, um, to to bring folks to property and to, to get their selections made. And so uh, in 2019, we went from 50 barrels sold all the way up to 200 um, in 2020. And in 2021, we are on track to, to do that uh, again, if not more. And so basically the, the best way to, uh, if you're interested in that program is to reach out to our, uh, you know, go to starlightdistillery.com or keywordwinery.com. There's a, a contact us email link that you can submit to um and and it'll get to either me christian dana uh we also have a new program coordinator his name's andrew he uh works in the, the winery but is transitioning uh kind of doing half and half and uh taking over some of those responsibilities so he may respond as well but but yeah if you're interested in our in our barrel program uh you know it's everybody gets a unique experience uh we figure out how the best way for you to get your bottles uh when they're ready uh you know we work with you the whole the whole way you know we have an in-house graphic designer that um you know works with your group or your your retail store or 
you know, whatever you are uh, to, to get your logo integrated onto the label. So, you know, we, we do a lot of uh, the work and, and, and help you along. So, yeah, it's, it's a super easy process with us. Just, uh, you know, putting yourself out there and, and letting us respond to you. And I was going to say, I'm sure it's fun uh, when when times allow. I mean, and I'm guessing it happens half and half now, whether it's virtual or in person, where, where people actually get to try several different barrels and see what they want, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, we, uh, we've done both. We, we always try to do more on property because we want folks to have that experience. And it also helps promote the brand. You know, they can take that with them and be able to talk about, you know, selling the bottle in store or, you know, Putting in a, why they put it in a cocktail at a restaurant or bar. Um, so we certainly prefer folks to come to property, which, uh, you know, again, going back to uh, safety and health regulations during the pandemic, we, we still maintain those as we tour and sample and, you know, bring the group along. But uh, the boys here with, with Ted, you know, they've done plenty of uh, virtual calls over Zoom, Microsoft Teams, you know, whatever the, whatever the platform is. Uh, we, we definitely make it work. So yeah, the, the, the possibility is, is open for, uh, for that if, if someone's not able to make it to property. And, and we now have a, a third join in the party in, in Blake. Welcome, Blake. Thank you. Thank you. Good talking to you, Jonathan. And uh, did you just finish up some, some bottling? Is, it, is that where you, where you were? They, they made you actually do some work today? Oh yeah, I just I've been trying to clear off some snow. We finished bottling the last of our next round of single barrel labels that just came in. So I was helping Jesse and Ryan over to the distillery kind of finish up all that. So got some fun products here down the line. This is James mentioned with the single barrels. And we really do enjoy and love to kind of commit to having the best experience here at Starlight Distillery and just bringing people along, even with the pandemic and everything. We like to take the guidelines seriously, but we also love that people still can come up to our facility and see why we're actually unique here and a true farm to bottle and how many people have just such a passion for the craft of distillation and making of these products. And James, Christian, as I mentioned, Ryan, Jesse, Jason, Parker, who are all over there today, just the passion throughout the entire facility. And then now whoever wants to answer this one can, um, as we continue talking here on Flavorful February, uh, you know, another way that, that, you know, bourbon gets done or you have those fun, fun um, experiences is the finished bottles, you know, finishing in a different type of barrel. How do you guys go about selecting what to, to put in those and how does that af affect the, the flavoring? Well, like I said, we take finishing very, very seriously. Again, me and him both being crazy about oak and crazy about <laughs> We're both viticulture and majors, so studying wine make a study great growing. Uh, so the cast finishes are something we take ultimately as a like our top tier products. Again, we do a great, great, great bourbon, but we even take it even further to make it even more complex with our finishes. Um, but again, we work with two importers very, very seriously. Um, we're the first distillery over there to get the best premium cast we can. Um, like again, one of our distributors call us we're harder than any of the brown formants for no regard <laughs> heaven possible because we go over there and we smell each individual cask for faults. Um, and we look at the integrity of the cask as a whole, making sure it's the best representation of the product. If it might be a sherry, if it's a port, Madeira, uh, X wine cask, whatever it might have you. Uh, we make sure we check the quality of each individual cask and that, that it's not faulted. And we're smelling that the actual liquid inside of it is still 
uh, basically what it should be and not compromised by any acetic factors or any pre or past fermentations that might have went into rig, especially on sweeter casts like Sauternes, Tokais, and stuff like that. Um, Blake can talk about how we blend them. Yeah, and so it's a really, I mean, Christian probably talked to you a little bit about our mash bills and some of our barrel program that we do here. And with such an extensive kind of broad field to choose from, that actually aids in us in creating the best possible blend for each one of those finishing barrels. And because a lot of people don't take the mindset that each one of these casts is different, each one is going to have a different profile. You can't put the same blend into each one of these and expect those flavors, those aromatics of that product that you're trying to finish in there to mesh together and to create this kind of homogenous end kind of result that really integrates together nicely because Christian talked about some of the sherries, the Tokai, Sauterne, and the sherries compared to the Sauterne and Tokai are kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum. You have that nutty, dried fruit kind of autolytic character coming from the sherry little bit even of that salinity there, so some of that savoriness. And then on the other end of things, you deal with Tokai and Sauterne, which deal with some more of these thiols, these fruitiness, some of these more melon flavors. And if you put something that's overbearing bearing within the blend into a Tokai, something that's a little bit too oily, has too many of those fusel alcohols, that huskiness, that grain is going to overtake those soft, delicate, fruity aromatics and it's not gonna round out. Whereas if we took a really nice high ride kind of bourbon within there, very clean finesse, has those cherry fruitiness up front, a nice vanilla in the back with the spice, that's gonna complement well with some of that sweetness that's gonna come from the aromatics. And in contrast for the sherry, we can afford a little bit more of a rich complex blend going in there because that extra characteristic, that nuttiness, that dried fruit is really going to round that out and kind of just add layers of complexity. And that's really what we like with our finishing products is you take something and we're just adding extra layers of complexity that fit within the mold of what that bourbon, what that rye is. And echoing off what we talked about with the double oaking process, every single cask comes of age differently. You can't just say it's going to be 18 months and just it magically everyone comes of right. age. Um, again, these casks are of different vintages. They're of different styles. Some are older, some are newer, depending on what they are. And again, we go out there every Saturday or Sunday and we taste a different lot of finishes and we adapt them and we guide them into a place where we like them. Um, again, it's just not throwing a dart and hopefully get lucky at 10 months. Uh, <laughs> you're, a, uh, you're kind of guiding it, you're guiding nature on the sense of you want it to, you know, fall into a pocket and you can do that very simply by being able to bring it out in the cold in the rickhouse. If we want to kind of speed up and kind of build pressure, we can bring it back inside next to the still and build that pressure up. Um, again, it's just tasting and figuring out your style of how you want to introduce that product to your market. Um, again, for us, we have our distinctive style here at Starlight that we're proud about. And we're, again, we're not going to apologize for it. We are what they are, and we're going to own it. Um, but again, we take that little bit of extra care on every single cask that we put out. And and are there any ones that ever just, you were like, man, this is going to work out great. And, and you, you get it and you go, nope. That, that was a bad one. Is there is there any times where you have a few few things that just you, you yeah. thought were going to mash together and just didn't didn't go as planned? I would say maybe didn't go as planned, but there within each of the finishing series, there's 
a level of variability between each cast to whereas we're going to get something and sherry is one of those ones that we can have these dark rich complex big body kind of very sherry forward cast whereas you'll have some that are just going to be more the soft in the back and almost just a compliment there rather than being right up front and for consumers as we look at that that as in the fact that some consumers going to like them one way versus the other because you have some people who aren't quite on board with finishings they're more traditional as they love the bourbon but having the lighter flavors in the back just to add a little bit of richness without being too front forward might be something that they enjoy versus that true fanatic of finishing products that might love this heavy straightforward and as christian mentioned we do have some occasionally that might turn out a little bit different than we imagined but with how often we're looking at them and how much time we put into making sure that barrels of quality we really kind of delineate less of that something not turning out and more of just that variability of it's good in a sense of this way or it's good in a sense of this way and that's why we do my single barrels as well uh, again you'd be surprised of all the people you've had in here from the east coast to the west coast to like i said all oh, over and over and again <laughs> it's the uh each individual person on palate, it's about how you were raised and the culture you were around and how you how you expect yeah. the whiskey to taste. And again, there's no right, there's no wrong. It's just it's just where you were going, the experience you had in your life. Um, and that's what we love about Starlight, and that's why we have those variabilities within there in different styles. I mean, some are high rise, some are kind of weeded, a little softer, sweeter, and that's that's what we want to show. That's why you come here and you try 14, 15 different casts yeah. so we can pick out the exact one that you're proud about to stand behind. It's just not Buffalo Trace or somewhere else that you come and get four barrels. Again, and when you're going to another big distillery, you might have these or your four options, and then you pick one, they roll that one out, they roll one more in, and there you go. It's another four. And again, you hopefully will get lucky and you find the one you love. But for us, being a craft distiller, you have to have that like true best foot forward every single time or you're just gonna get ate alive in the marketplace. And that's why we really pick out the individual cast that is best expressive for you and for your group of consumers and your palate and for your palates of your consumers. We really work on that and being able to give you something that you'll be proud to stand behind, not that you just got lucky that day. Yeah. And that's kind of what we wanna show. Well, and and that, that takes me back to our last episode or our first time talking to to y'all and and what I found very interesting and something that if folks if you're going out there and buying a Starlight bottle, take a look to see who picked it cuz you guys each put your name on it cuz y'all kind of like something uh, a little different as well. So you might see the T or the C or or, or B uh Huber depending on who who picked that exact barrel, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. And and again, it goes back to we all, us three being, like I said, the same family even have different palates. And again, nor wrong nor right. It's just you got to be proud about how you like to drink whiskey. And again, we all drink very differently. So yeah. just owning your own palate. And like I said, you like my style, you like Blake's, you like Dad's. It is what it is, but it comes from the same house, but with those different tweaks. Yeah, and then we're always trying out there too, as we know that each and every consumer out there has a different palate has a different preference has different tasting sensations basically and when we're going through and actually choosing single barrels we're gonna be as non-biased as we can because we're just looking for what is a product of quality does it meet our standards of having the right aromatics that nose up front 
Does it have the right mouthfeel? Does it have the right finish within it? And do all those combine together to make something special? And granted, it might not be to one of our palates, but if all these bridge together, that creates something that's truly special. And then as Christian mentioned, when we work with the consumers, we work with our different clientele, this really helps us to create that experience of, okay, let's truthfully figure out what do you like in a bourbon versus what is actually out there on the market. Let's find you a bourbon that fits your mold. And that's something that you can put your name on. Obviously, you see that we have all these different people. We can customize the bottom. And that's something that you put your name on. And that's something that you truthfully in the end love as a product. Yeah, I love that. And uh, uh, like I said, I, I've never had anything bad bad from y'all. And, and you can tell you put put your uh, heart and soul into into what you do. And before I let you go, kind of what's what's next for you guys? I mean, obviously, you, you, we have survived 2020 and we're now into 2021. So uh, what, what's next? Uh, you kind of talked about the liqueur that that'll be coming out in, in the summer. Anything else uh, that you can actually say yeah. that is recorded? <laughs> yeah, well, knock on wood, we got very lucky. We're just putting in three more new fermenters um, into our still house to kind of, as we go up in production, we're going to, again, be very slow of how we're going to gauge up. But again, we want to be able to work with this four and a half to six year old whiskey, but we also want to push the bar and go older and older. And for us, that is putting more barrels back. Um, so we are changing the still house up, getting some more fermenters. But again, we're not going to go so big that us as a family can't touch it. Again, we're not going to go to a night shift. We're going to be able to touch it. We're ever going to be able to work with it. Um, again, that was basically for us to keep on raising the bar, but raising the bar in a way that we still have that hands-on, that we can still make those cuts. Uh, we're not going to lose, you know, what our philosophy was with each individual run. It's its own individual, you know. You're creating something new every single day. You're making the best whiskey every single day, and we didn't want to lose that lucky enough that we're able to get three more fermenters in and hopefully get another um, bigger pot still in here that we can run the same time as our other one but we're able to still make the cuts instead of making one cut we're going to be making two cuts but um, again we can still do that um, every single day and while we're here uh, rather than go into this big ethanol plant style where we're not here at night uh, again we want to be able to do every single blend and cut every single cask and be able to proof it the way we want it to be proofed for these companies. Oh, and yeah. You want to talk about that? Yeah, you, you can yeah. So, um, one of the other things, uh, we have kind of a allocated limited release product line extension happening this year um, for, for multiple markets. Um, basically, we will be working with our distributors who will be, uh, you know, selling to their accounts um, five different allocated uh, bourbons this year. Uh, and they'll be released throughout the entire year. So, um, well, one at a time throughout the entire year. So you have uh, Double Oaked first, uh, which will be coming out soon. And then after that will be a Bottled and Bond release that we'll be doing. Uh, after that is the Old Rick House Rye, which a lot of folks are familiar with. Uh, I believe it goes Sherry. Sherry, yeah, is the fourth one. And then a fourth. So Sherry finished bourbon and then uh, wrapping up the year. Or actually probably like third quarter with um August time yeah with the August time frame with uh with the port finished bourbon so all of those will hit the market separately uh like one at a time like I said but uh it's exciting to be growing the the bourbon product line just from 
uh, Carlty and private store selections that you'll see in retail accounts uh, to to include all of those into the general market as well. So that's yeah. that's really exciting for us. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a great opportunity too for us to have some of our our smaller kind of shops and retail stores that have supported us have some of our products. Give them an opportunity that. They might not be able to come select a whole barrel, but they're able to actually get some of these allocated products, pull them into their stores and show their consumer base because we want to keep building those relationships. We want to keep showing people what we have. And this is just a fantastic opportunity to us for to produce a very high quality, some of these very small batch limited blends and be able to distribute them throughout kind of our, our subset of distribution that we have so far. Yeah. Uh, that is that is awesome, and and James Christian Blake, I, I really appreciate you you taking time to kind of do a little little bit of a deep dive. We didn't go all the way, and, and maybe that'll be for the next one. Uh, but uh, but I really appreciate you guys taking the time. Thank you, thank you, yeah, no, and thank you again. Yeah, this is awesome. It's always a blast talking with Christian Blake and James from Starlight Distillery there in Indiana, just across the river uh, from Louisville, Kentucky. And as I talked about earlier, don't forget about our uh, Drinking Buddies monthly giveaway. We have quite the lineup this time, all whiskeys and bourbons. Here's the list one more time for y'all. Cascade Moon Edition number two small batch, which is at least 16 years old. A George Dickel single barrel, 15-year-old. Barrel Craft Spirits, 15-year-old. Barrel Armedia, which is bourbon, whiskey, finished in brandy rum. And Sicilian Amaro Cask. The Starlight Distillery Double Oaked Bourbon, Traverse City Whiskey Barrel Proof Bourbon, and out of Middle West, the Straight Ride Dark Pumpernickel Whiskey. Those are all sample sizes. You could win all seven by just signing up for our Drinking Buddies Monthly Giveaway Club. Go to any of our social media, at Hops and Spirits, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Click the link. It's that simple, and it's free. So don't wait around. Also, make sure you check out our Friends of the Podcast, Dads on the Deck Podcast, and One Sip Beer Review both of them are on Instagram and are definitely worthy of a, uh, of a, of a follow, a like, and just a, a pure enjoyment of the podcast or the videos that they produce. Until next time, cheers, everyone. <laughs>